0: Woke up quick at about noon. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Welcome into the podcast with Damian Barling presented by Vibe Health Bar, where you can help out our healthcare workers. If you just go to the description in this podcast, you'll see a link to the GoFundMe page that'll help uh, buy lunches for uh, the healthcare workers in and around uh, the Sacramento area. Many of you have already done that. It's just not the GoFundMe page. I think you guys have already raised... Uh, approaching $3,000, over $3,000 on that GoFundMe page alone. And that doesn't even count the amount of people who have ordered food through DoorDash and some of the delivery apps. Uh, And we've been able to have that delivered uh, to our health, our healthcare workers. So thank you to everybody who has participated in that. That is an ongoing thing. Uh, Each and every single day, uh, that link to the GoFundMe page is in the description of this podcast. So we thank you. And of course, we thank Vibe Health Bar. The NFL draft is in the books. There's a lot to talk about. Episodes number three and four of The Last Dance premiered last night. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk with Kyle Matson. I just mentioned the NFL draft. Kyle Matson covers the San Francisco 49ers. They had a very busy weekend. We saw Joe Staley retire. We saw the acquisition of Trent Williams. That saga with Washington is finally over. We saw them trade Marquise Goodwin, Matt Barita. We saw the draft come and go and Kyle Matson again, he covers the 49ers for NinersWire.com as well as 95.7, the game in San Francisco. We'll talk to him uh, in just a little bit. But to get us started, a couple of notes here on the draft, the SEC led all conferences in draft selections for the 14th straight year, 63 picks out of the SEC. Uh, that's tied for the second most by a conference uh, in the common era, trailing 64 from last year. Uh, LSU led all schools with 14 selections tied with the most by any team through seven rounds in NFL draft history. There were 36 wide receivers selected. Um, That was a, a, a big talking point over the weekend. One school had three wide receivers selected. That was Florida. The Panthers... They used all seven of their draft picks on defensive players. They became the second team in the common draft era to use their first seven picks on defensive players. The 1975 Chargers did that as well. Uh, The Patriots used their first three picks on defenders, which is interesting because last year they led the NFL in scoring and total defense last season. So scoring defense and total defense, they are the first team since the 1970 merger to accomplish that, and then use the first three picks of the draft uh, the next year on defensive players. The Raiders and Broncos and Eagles, they each selected three wide receivers. Um, what else do we got here? The Patriots and Bills, oh, the Patriots, they drafted a white supremacist who was a kicker. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see the Dolphins drafted a long snapper. You got that. So there's just a a couple of notes, and then you know how you are the days after the draft. Of course, there's excitement for your football team, whoever your football team is. And you know there's optimism and there's grades. You've gotta grade something. You've got what's great about what's great about grades is you grade how a team did, you know, based on the players that they drafted that are being evaluated by the same people who are giving the grades. The same people who are giving grades to the teams are the same people who are evaluating the the players that the team drafted. So if a team drafted a group of players that a particular analyst was high on, well, of course, that team is going to get a good grade well, we're not going to give out grades because we're not draft experts, but we can do the gimmick that we were doing on Friday, the the like and love gimmick. Like, I think there's a lot of teams that drafted well. You know, I I love what the Cowboys did. It, we talked about this Friday. Going with CD Lamb, like, in the first round was like, all right, good. Like, cool. He's dynamic. He's going to be a playmaker. He's going to be on the field. We We know that. But man, you've guys got some issues that you might want to address. Your offensive line is getting older. You're not at the point where you have to start thinking about an entire makeover of that offensive line. But you you do have to be aware. I think the loss of Travis Frederick is going to be a big deal for that team as it was uh, when he was out with his illness a couple of seasons ago. But their defenses, you know, it's funny when you talk about the Cowboys. It's like, well, their defense isn't horrible. Like, like that's a good thing. Like they have to have a a more competent defense. Like their only goal with the Cowboys every year, whether they're a good team going into the season or a bad team going into the season, it's, it's, it's super bowl or bust. And like, that's it. So having a, Oh, well the, the defense isn't, you know, it's not awful. Like you can't have that. They have to get better. They have to get significantly better. Uh, defensively. And I think they were able to do that starting on day two. And that's what we tell you, go get CeeDee Lamb in the first round, but you better start addressing your defense this weekend. And that's exactly what they did. They addressed their defense uh, in rounds two, in rounds three, in rounds four, in rounds five. I thought they did a good job. They were able to steal Trayvon Diggs, which is a good one. He's not a, you, you know, when you when you read the reports on him, you hear that he's, he's going to be a perfect fit like an absolutely flawless fit, but only for a handful of teams. He's not going to fit everywhere uh, in the NFL. He's going to fit with the Cowboys. The Cowboys have a real press-heavy-like scheme, and as a cornerback that likes to push his wide receiver, like he's, he's going to be a good fit. This is something the Cowboys needed. Um, they actually drafted two cornerbacks over the weekend. Uh, they've got they drafted an edge rusher like they they did. Uh, I'm I'm happy with what they did. I I really think that they did. Uh, I think they did well. Um, and then you can see, you know, you could look around and you could see the 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 directions that that certain teams, you know, took. Like we could stay in the NFC East here for a minute. Look at the New York Giants. Two of the first three picks for the New York Giants were tackles. Like they know, okay, like we're we, we, if Daniel Jones is our guy. We've got to protect him. We've got to do a, a much better job of protecting him than we did last year. And much like the Cowboys, they know they got to get better defensively. So they're looking at the two ways to protect their quarterback is to, obviously, fix that offensive line, but have a better defense. There's probably no better quarterback. protect. <laughs> we talk about the offensive lines we do that a lot when we talked about Minnesota in recent years and talked about obviously the Dallas Cowboys year after year after year. Once upon a time, I'm old enough to remember like three years ago when the Raiders had an amazing offensive line. Offensive lines are great protection for the quarterbacks. That's that's not exactly a hot take, but we all know that even better protection for quarterbacks are strong running games, and strong defenses, and you see New York taking those steps uh, to create a stronger defense. You see New York taking those steps to create a a stronger offensive line for their quarterback. Uh, I you know w- we'll stay here one, for one more team, Philadelphia. I you know Philadelphia. Oh, you know overall, they had a good draft. It's just at least I think. I mean i I think they had a good draft when you just look at the. When you just look at like what they needed, you, know, they, you, you knew that they needed a wide receiver. They, are, they were able to get that in the first round. You know that they have to get better defensively. Their defense was a massive liability for them last year entering the postseason. Them getting to the postseason was actually a small miracle with what they had. Philadelphia, as we mentioned, was one of the teams that drafted three wide receivers. They had one in the first round, one in the fifth, and one in the sixth. Um, but they also got edge rushers. They got outs, uh, uh, tackles. They got a couple of cornerbacks in there. But what everybody is talking about is the fact that they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round, a quarterback, and you know, you know, people will say, "Well, Carson Wentz, he misses games. Carson Wentz played 16 games last year. He got concussed in the postseason, which is, you know, I that, that, that getting concussed doesn't really fall under the category of injury prone here. At least I don't think it does. Wes Welker might disagree, but." I, I don't know that you could really fault Carson Wentz for getting concussed in a playoff game. He played all 16 games last year, and normally when you have a quarterback like, you know who would have been a fit in Philadelphia more than like a Jalen Hurts would have been, is like Andy Dalton. Like, wouldn't it have Andy Dalton been the been the right fit to 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 be behind Carson Wentz, like the older? veteran quarterback, like if something happens to Carson Wentz and now you have this, you know, I, I don't know if Adam Schefter was tweeting about it. I heard uh, Dan Patrick talk uh, talking about it this morning is teams are, are, are now going to have to deal with, you know, the very real concern of uh, assuming this season happens, uh, assuming we get 16 games, or even if we get 14 games or 12 games, but assuming the NFL season happens as we know it, teams – I have to have a real concern that it, in addition to injury, like what if your quarterback gets sick? like if your quarterback if your quarterback just exhibits symptoms of the coronavirus, they're out two weeks, like they are immediately gone two weeks because they have to quarantine and in 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 if you go a little further and say, okay, they have symptoms, one of those symptoms is a fever. Well, the two weeks doesn't start until the fever breaks. So if they have a fever for you know four days, now you're talking missing you know a minimum of two weeks, maybe up to three, four, five, depending on if one of these guys really does get sick. Six weeks, and now you're dealing you're dealing with a whole different dynamic. And I looked at Philadelphia, like, and and, what he was saying was, and what Adam Schefter and some of these NFL writers were saying, were with these these teams like perhaps, uh, um, uh, what was it, Green Bay? Taking Jordan Love potentially the reason for this is they want quarterbacks to be able to come in like like if Aaron Rodgers does get sick, which which it's fascinating for so many reasons because wouldn't Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love and wouldn't Jalen Hurts and Carson wouldn't they be in the same room virtually every day? Like if your quarterback the 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 the, the protocols for this upcoming season to keep players healthy is going to be extraordinary like absolutely extraordinary i i i don't believe i'm i'm trying to figure out a scenario you know traveling traveling isn't going to be difficult for these guys cuz they're you know they're obviously charter flights they're you know you'd have to have the the flight crew tested and you know everyone who gets on the plane has to be tested which is part of the you know it's part of the, the kind of the weird dynamic in all of this like The NBA, you know, Woj tweeted on, uh, like, Friday or Saturday that uh, NBA teams were going to be allowed to reopen their facilities in states that have uh, relaxed, stay-at-home guidelines right now. Uh, They were going to open up their facilities on, I think it was May 1st. So, like, Friday, and it it's weird, you know, to think about that because I think like, well, okay, like let's look at let's look at Miami. Miami's in Florida and they have the Lord knows, everybody knows what they're doing in Florida. They're gonna be able to do whatever they want. They could play an NBA game right now if you wanted to in Florida. But you know, look at Massachusetts, it's like, okay, Massachusetts, their stay at home thing doesn't end until May 4th. All right, so maybe Celtics players can't go back into there. And and the way that this was lined out is if a player wants to go in and work out, he can. And it's a bit unclear like I think it's a player like by themselves. Like they can't even work out with a coach right now. It's like the facility will be open and a player will be allowed to use it. But it's unclear like is, is like it's it's not a training camp. Uh it's nothing like that. But the other thing is here in California, the Golden One Center isn't going to be open for the players, specifically because the California laws haven't relaxed. Like we just said, uh, uh, Massachusetts has a, a May 4th date to end there, at least of right now. Now it could change. But May 4th the is, is when their, their current um, stay-at-home mandate ends. California is indefinite. Like, we don't even have an end date. Gavin Newsom basically said, I'll tell you when it's time. Like, and it is not time right now. So how does that affect the Kings? How does that affect the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors? I think we're, you know, we're all moving a little too fast. And as I look at this NBA thing and I was reading, or the, the NFL thing, and I was reading those articles about, you know, maybe why, you know, some of the reasons why uh, teams might have drafted quarterbacks, they don't make sense. Well, what if Carson Wentz gets sick? Then you got Jalen Hurts. Well, why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather have Andy Dalton? Like, do you like you can't nurture Jalen Hurts along right now and teach him to be an NFL quarterback while you're trying to get Carson Wentz up and running? Same with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. This, this doesn't make sense. I feel like these, some of these writers or insiders were either being fed information by teams to justify what appeared to be poor draft picks, or they were being fed lines by franchises who were trying to justify things for their starting quarterbacks in order to smooth tensions over a little bit. I don't know that it was any one of those, but what I do know is that the articles that they were writing don't make any sense. Like seriously talking about a, a player getting, you know, the coronavirus and being out seven weeks, I'd rather have Andy Dalton be the quarterback than Jalen Hurts, at least right now. You know, maybe next year I'd rather have Jalen Hurts do it. But right now, like, if if I, hey, I got to throw Andy Dalton out there for two weeks. I don't have a choice. Hey, I got to throw, you know, we'll talk about Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints here in a minute. I'd rather throw him out there than trying to nurse Jordan Love along. Like, okay, I know we were pretty much counting on Aaron Rodgers doing his thing for the next, you know, 16 weeks, but... He's gotten sick, so you've got to go be the quarterback. We're going to do a quick crash course here on for how you're going to become an NFL quarterback. So I keep thinking about this stuff like, how how is an NFL season actually, you know, how how are NFL games going to happen? We were talking about traveling. Okay, traveling, you know, it's, it's a, you know, we think about traveling and it's, you know, it's a nightmare and we're thinking about mask and how is traveling going to change when the pandemic ends? And you see, Renderings of airplanes that might eliminate the middle seat. You see, renderings of airplanes that are going to put up like plastic partitions, you know, between the seats. So you're not really in contact with the person next to you. Well, that's not the way NFL players travel. So you're going to be able to get from, you know, site to site to site. But aren't we at like a patient zero thing also with the NFL? Where if like one guy gets sick, particularly like imagine, you know, you have, you know, position meetings. This is, you know, half of what training camp is, is position meetings. Like, you you might lift and train for an hour. You might practice for an hour. But you're in meetings for, like, eight. And you're in position meetings. You're in offense meetings, defensive meetings, quarterback meetings, uh, linebacker meetings, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff. If someone in your general vicinity is sick, like, whoo. It's going to be a tough run for the rest of the team. Everybody else is going to have to get, you know, and that and that's the other thing. Like, everybody is going to have to get checked over the course of this whole thing. And it feels like almost on a daily basis. The coach has got to come in and get tested. The The quarterback has got to come in and get tested. Like, everybody who walks through a facility has to come in and get tested. I think that's what the NBA is going to be having to deal with here coming up pretty soon as well if, if they attempt to open up their facilities uh, as they have suggested on May 1st. Which, by the way, that's isn't that Friday or Thursday, Thursday or Friday? Oh, some of the, but some of these articles justifying why some of these players were drafted and, and trying to tie the coronavirus into the whole thing was like, oh man, this this has got to be damage control because this this doesn't this doesn't add up to me. Uh, this doesn't add up at all. I know I got I, I got I got severely sidetracked there as I was talking about Carson Wentz and these acquisition. Of these quarterbacks, but in, I, guess, I, guess, I guess we'll deviate from the draft here for just a moment. Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill both signed with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, Taysom Hill, uh, the beloved 29-year-old quarterback, signed a deal worth $16 million in guaranteed money. $16 million in guaranteed money. Uh, plus a $1 million bonus in performance incentives, or plus uh, uh, an additional $1 million in performance incentives. Um, Taysom Hill did not sign an offer sheet with any other NFL team. So what that means is Sean Payton just willingly threw $16 million at Taysom Hill. And now uh, Jameis Winston is coming in. And he, and I guess he and Taysom Hill, are going to battle for the backup quarterback position. Now, it's not a throwaway position as Drew Brees you know, had that, I think it was a thumb injury uh, last year. And he missed, a, gosh, what did he miss, like six games? Five or six games? I know Teddy Bridgewater didn't lose any of the games that, that, that uh, Drew Brees missed. I know that. I don't remember if it was five or six, but... You can't you can't just go okay. It's a meaningless role because you know Drew Brees is kind of an Iron Man. He's going to be there. Oh, he just missed some time last year. We know Taysom Hill is going to have a certain package drawn up for him. Like he's going to get some run. He's going to get some time. Sean Payton loves this guy, and so we've got Jameis. That was one of the questions leading into the weekend, right? Jameis, Cam, and Andy Dalton. Well, Jameis has found his spot. It's as a backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Cam Newton, all quiet. Andy Dalton, all quiet. The Patriots, I thought this line was interesting, and I'm just going to ignore the fact that they drafted a white supremacist and how that was covered in the whole thing. Like It's the NFL. We know how the NFL goes. It's okay to be a white supremacist in the NFL. Uh, And it's also okay for the New England Patriots to draft a white supremacist in the NFL. We know that. We don't have to pretend why uh, this is the way that it is. We all know I'm just going to move on from it. We've beat this horse to death. There's nothing I can say right now that would be different than anything we've said over the last two and a half years. But the Patriots, however, uh, they acknowledge, or at least Bill Belichick specifically acknowledged that not drafting a quarterback in this draft wasn't by design, uh, which is interesting because, uh, They passed on Jordan Love, so it was clear they didn't like Jordan Love, and I don't know if there was another quarterback that they liked. Uh, I don't know if they had aspirations of moving up. That was kind of a vague remark. I mean, they've, they, I I keep saying they, but I mean Bill, Bill Belichick has thrown his confidence behind Jarrett Stidham. Uh, We know that Brian Hoyer that Brian Hoyer, the Brian Hoyer who has had an 11-year career in the NFL and has started 38 games. I repeat, an 11-year career and he has started 38 games. We know that he's on the roster as well. But I thought that line was I thought that line from Bill Belichick was interesting that that not drafting a quarterback wasn't by design. It was just kind of something that that happened along the way. Uh, we haven't really addressed the Raiders, your Las Vegas Raiders. Uh I lo- love the the Henry Ruggs pick. We talked about that uh the other day. I thought they actually had a, a a good first round. Um I was surprised they took a running back in the third, but I I I don't know. Okay. I, I was surprised they went that round. Uh Brian Edwards out of South Carolina, he went there. Uh, in the third, I don't know what to make of the Raiders draft. I, I, I don't, okay. I don't know where to start with the Raiders. I think we thought, uh, well, we're going to start with the quarterback position, right? I I guess Derek Carr is their quarterback. If Derek Carr isn't their quarterback, Marcus Mariota is their quarterback. If we're talking about a head-to-head battle, I believe that Derek Carr wins that battle. I think Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota is. Um. But if you if like like if I were to ask you Raider fans like where do you start? Like where do you start? Because I don't I don't want to say building a team. Like you've got the building blocks there with Josh Jacobs. And if Derek Carr is your quarterback, he's already there. You know who your head coach is going to be for the next decade. Where do you go? What piece do you want to address first? Because I don't think anybody said, well, we've really got to address the wide receiver position first. However, I'm not going to knock them for taking the best for who they thought was the best player, uh, you know, on their on their big board. Like, I'm okay if you do that. Unless you just have a glaring, you know, just a glaring need somewhere that you're not addressing. I don't know that the, the Raiders have, like, just this overwhelming glaring need. I feel like they just have a lot of things that they need to, that kind of need to come together. You know, they had three picks in the third round, and they went offense for two of them. Okay. I guess we'll see how it plays out. I don't know I, I, I don't know where to point and say, Well, they did this wrong. Well they did this wrong. They they did this wrong. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just don't I don't the only thing I'll say is I don't get the I don't I don't get the the running back pick uh, or, or why you would I don't know I don't get why you would draft a guy who was so obviously Josh Jacobs backup in the third round. Because the third round, you're still in that category of really, really good players out there. I don't get why you would why you would draft Josh Jacobs in that situation. Uh, let's shift to the 49ers here. As we mentioned, uh, the 49ers had a very, very eventful weekend uh, with uh, the retirement of Joe Staley, the acquisition of Trent Williams. Marquise Goodwin is gone. Matt Burita is gone. And they drafted a whole slew of players. Uh, and uh, happy to bring in Kyle Mattson. Uh, rights for the 49ers covers the 49ers for Niners uh, as well as 957 the game in San Francisco Kyle thanks as always for being here my man uh let's start with this the the 49ers as we just laid out had a very busy weekend what was the most important thing that happened for the San Francisco 49ers this weekend
1: yeah the most important move the one I think that that really stands out is the the acquisition of Trent Williams He's a Pro Bowl left tackle, and when you lose a player like Joe Staley, your stalwart left guard who's been there for 13 years, replacing him isn't just easy. Yeah. Even if they had drafted a, a tackle early, uh, that's still a rookie. You've still never seen that guy play in the NFL, whereas they trade a fifth-round pick in 2020 and a third-rounder in 2021 to pick up a seven-time Pro Bowler who's 31 years old and you can theoretically slot him in left tackle for the next four or five years. I, I think when you talk about the Niners extending their championship window, I think it starts with Trent Williams.
0: I'm glad you open with that because I feel like that kind of brings forward a lot of questions. Uh, we knew Trent Williams or I think most people who have followed the Trent Williams situation in Washington had really hoped it was coming to an end. There had been enough talked about over the last couple of days that he was Man. probably going to get moved over the weekend. And, you know, there were rumblings out there that that Minnesota had something on the table and he said, no, I want to go to San Francisco. How much like like I mean, it feels like the. The time frame in which the Joe Staley retirement and the Trent Williams, like it was just like a micro second before all of that was done.
1: Yeah. So what what happened was because Kyle Shanahan is obviously very familiar with Trent Williams. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was Washington's offensive coordinator in 2010 when his dad Mike was the head coach. Washington makes Trent Williams the number four overall pick, and and Shanahan was his offensive coordinator for the next four seasons. So, the the familiarity was already there. Joe Staley told the Niners on Monday that he's done. So that's when the wheels kind of went in motion for the Trent Williams trade, and then the timing of everything was kind of awkward because the trade got announced and then. Joe Staley's retirement was reported like 40 minutes later. Yeah. And then, and then the trade was made official like two hours before Staley officially announced his retirement. So it was, it was definitely a little strange, but the, the Niners said they had not had any conversations really about Trent Williams until Monday, until they knew that Joe Staley was retiring. So that I, I think they got pretty lucky because it sounded like the, the Washington wasn't going to move him unless they got a first or second round pick. And the Niners part with two mid-round picks, one of which uh, doesn't even convey until next year. So I, I think that that they probably benefited from waiting so long to get into the Trent Williams week.
0: Uh, did you say that Kyle is Mike's son? Yeah, I know not a lot of people
1: know that. It, it, it uh, doesn't get yeah, discussed much. Related to, no, no, I know. Uh, a lot of people actually missed that Mike Shanahan was on stage uh, after the NFC Championship game last year, and, and Kyle gave him a hug. Like, nobody really pointed that out so i wanted to make sure to, that your audience knew
0: wow that's good thanks Dude, this is why you have elevated in the game so yeah. quickly yeah like it's 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 yeah. it's, it's phenomenal like dropping uh yeah i mean this is why you write 47 articles for niners wire a day i mean this is
1: Yeah. yeah i mean anytime anytime i can shed some knowledge on on people that they don't already know i'm gonna do it
0: so uh I mean, you know you, how i roll d- no doubt joe's Joseph- <laughs> Joe Staley, he's on great terms with the 49ers. There's nothing, there's not going to be like a big 10-page report coming out in the Athletic next week, right? Like this This was Joe's done, 49ers love him. I think I read probably from you, they'd love to keep him around if he's, you know, still interested in being around the game of football.
1: Yeah, I, I think the next time we hear about Joe Staley and the 49ers, it'll be either they're retiring his jersey or they're building him a statue or he's joining the coaching staff or the organization in some kind of advisory role. He's he's gonna be around if he wants to be the. Everybody in the organization loves him. He'll probably be the last player to wear number 74, and and he'll probably wind up in Canton at some point.
0: Oh, I don't think there's any probably about that. Yeah, you're you're I'm yeah. I'm with you 100% on all those fronts. In addition to a, again, a very for a team that didn't have a lot of draft picks entering the weekend, I don't know who was more busy than the San Francisco 49ers given the uh, acquisition of Trent Williams, the 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 retirement of Joe Staley, which you just laid out beautifully for us. Uh but also a couple of trades. I I'm guessing neither one of these were very surprising to you. Uh, just um it was this just, just simply a, a perfect timing for the 49ers to finally execute these trades with Marquise Goodwin and Matt Burita?
1: yeah, I think so they 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 brought Burita back. If he was an unrestricted free agent, I don't think they would have resigned him, but it was so cheap to bring him back because he was a restricted free agent. They put that second round tender on him and they they get him back for the year worst case. Uh, best case, they trade him for a fifth round pick. And they did that after moving their last fifth-round pick in the Trent Williams trade. So they they clear out their backfield a little bit. And Matt Breed is really good. Like, he averaged five yards to carry for three seasons. He's the fastest guy on the team. I think he had the fastest miles-per-hour run of any player in the NFL last year on his opening touchdown against the Browns. So, I, I mean, Miami's getting a really good player. There were just a little bit of reliability issues there. And in a crowded backfield like San Francisco, they, uh, availability is the best ability. Availability is the best ability. Is that the that the phrase?
0: I believe that's I it. That's the yep, I believe that's, that's it. And some 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 people would say uh, yeah. reliability is the best ability, but I, I, I mean.
1: yeah right it, right. <laughs> so he's he's not that, and I think that's why they were they were ready to move on from him. And then Marquise Goodwin, same kind of thing. And he 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 wasn't just injuries over the last couple of years. Uh, he played just 20 games, and he had he had some very serious like off field things with his family, that like you can't fault him for that at all. And, sure. and the fact he's still playing football is a, is a testament to to him as a person. Uh, but I mean, he was he was going to make I think four and a half million dollars this year, and the Niners were a little bit strapped for cap space, so the fact they were able to get anything it was just a pick swap with Philadelphia. They moved up 20 spots and and sent Goodwin to to Philly. I think that that's a, that's a win for the Niners. And I think it's a win for Goodwin because he's going to go to a receiver room that, that that badly uses help.
0: Was there any hope? I really, I really liked Marquise Goodwin. Uh, I thought he had, I don't know what he's missing. And maybe it's, it's simply what you just said. It's the, the availability of him or the reliability of him. Um, But he felt, he feels like a potentially. Like dynamic number one receiver.
1: Yeah, he's he's not very big is part of the issue, but I mean he has he has he's literally an Olympian like he's fast he's one of the fastest guys in the league he's just not super refined as a receiver and I think the biggest thing and we saw this with Dante Pettis last year is is he taps out a little bit in Mm. like a body bag game like going over the middle is not a thing he's very comfortable with unless he's running through there untouched uh you get a game like last year in washington remember the niners game in washington last year it was just nappy it was rainy and wet and muddy yeah just kind of a rough game goodwin is is not like well suited for a game like that and so uh when the going kind of gets tough he's not a guy that you can turn to and say hey we're gonna throw the ball to you 20 times go make some plays and and the Niners need that guy, and so they need as many roster spots open as possible to see if they can if they can find one to put next to Debo Samuel. Uh,
0: since Kyle and I have been talking, twelve more wide receivers have been drafted. Um, Thirty-six <laughs> wide receivers in total. Man, twenty-three different teams drafted at least one wide receiver. Thirteen were selected in the first two rounds. Ten teams selected at least two wide receivers. Um, can you, I, I I don't think I've ever seen this before. In in fact, I, I, I know I've, I've never seen this before. That's not a position that you generally see, uh, coveted the way it was, particularly in the first round, uh, in a draft like this,
1: I think talent had something to do with it. Like there were a lot of just really solid players available at, at receiver in this draft, but like, look at the direction the NFL is going. It's so much more three wide receiver, four wide receiver stuff, where even if your offense isn't necessarily geared towards that, like the Niners, the Niners aren't a three wide, four wide, uh, send everyone out and let it rip kind of offense. But sometimes you need the personnel to be able to do that, and there are so many teams that are shifting towards that spread everybody out and air it out style of offense, and. They they need receivers. They need more capable receivers. Uh, I think it was Todd McShay uh, in the Alabama LSU game last year said that there were like 25 teams who would drop their entire receiving course to take Alabama's or LSU's entire <laughs> receiving course. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, the, the talent at that position in the NFL just hasn't been great. And that was coming at a time where teams need receivers more than ever. So I think this was just a perfect a perfect storm of teams needing receivers and that position being really rich with talent in, in this year's draft. So I think, I think that we're going to see some really productive seasons from rookie receivers this year.
0: Were you surprised they didn't uh, get one of the big names that was available there for them? Uh, Well, at 13, ultimately that was available for them there at 14.
1: No, because I thought, I didn't think they were going to take a receiver in the first round. I thought they were going to trade back, draft Javon Kinlaw, and then trade back from 31 and then take one of the many receivers that fell to round two. Uh, and and Brandon Ayuk was a guy who I actually, the first time I watched him, I was like, oh, this is a Shanahan guy. Like, look at him. Like, you could just see him in Shanahan's offense. But I didn't think that the Niners were going to get a chance to pick him. So I had just kind of ruled it out. And if, if you had said the Niners have an opportunity to take him, it, it would have made a lot of sense. I was surprised they moved up to to grab a receiver more than I was surprised they didn't take uh Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb so the 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 fact that they that they sent three picks to Minnesota to to slide up to 25 to take Ayuk was was really surprising to me because I didn't think that they were going to be in love with any of the three guys uh those three top guys Ruggs, Lamb, and and Judy I didn't think they were going to be in love with them enough to use that that first pick on one of those guys
0: the NFL year to year is very difficult to predict. Uh, teams ascend very fast in the NFL. But how do you think the 49ers have set themselves up to be back where they were last year?
1: I think they're worse today from a talent standpoint than they were the day of the Super Bowl. But I think when you look at 2021, 2022, I think they're better prepared to extend their championship window now than they were two months ago and i think that's what they wanted to do like i think they'll still compete this year i I think they'll still be you know in that 10 11 win range depending on what kind of bounces of ball they get but they just had so many things go right for them last year they had a relatively easy schedule and that's how you wind up with 13 wins right that's the kind of a bounce of the ball here, a bounce of the ball there is what separates a 13-win team from a 9-win team. And I I think the Niners are are kind of in that. uh, If everything kind of equals out over the year, I think they're 10 or 11 wins and and probably playing on the first first weekend of the playoffs.
0: You know, I have the very unpopular opinion that I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be significantly better next year. I just don't think you can discount him being a year removed away from a devastating knee injury and 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 I know you know oh we go you know injuries are routine those types of surgeries are routine he's still coming back and playing football and trying to get back in the field and he continued to win games and I think it was framed too much that the team was winning in spite of him instead of because of him and I think he's going to win a lot of games next year the 49ers are going to win a lot of games next year and I think it's going to be because of Jimmy Garoppolo
1: Yeah I I, I would I would certainly buy into that and I think that that's what the Niners are banking on a little bit i i I think that you hit it on the head when you talk about that acl i've never torn an acl but i've i've gotten hurt playing a sport before and it's weird getting back into that sport after time off to deal with this injury you suffered while playing that sport and just watch garoppolo go back and watch garoppolo's games in 2017 watch how mobile he is watch how much they're moving him around and that's such a big part of kyle shanahan's offense is play action Boom, get outside the pocket um, uh, manipulate defenders with quarterback movement, and I don't think Garoppolo was quite there yet. And you saw it; he was kind of a statue, and he held onto the ball too long, too often. You saw prime example in the Super Bowl that first interception he threw. Yeah, he held onto the ball too long. He gets hit as he throws, and his throwaway ends up floating towards the sideline. It gets easily intercepted, and I think that that's the biggest issue with his game. And I think, uh, to your point, that's something that can be remedied with. Hey, he's a full year, two years removed from that from that knee injury. Now, now he can get back to playing football. He's more familiar with the offense. He has a full sixteen game season under his belt, and uh, we've seen Matt Schaub and Matt Ryan both kind of take off after their first pro seasons under Kyle Shanahan. So I, I'm with you. I think Garoppolo takes a step up. I don't think his ceiling is 2016 Matt Ryan just because he was. So incredible that year Ryan was, Mm -hmm. but I think I think Garoppolo is a 4,230 touchdown, 10 interception guy, a 4,200 yards, 30 touchdown 10 interceptions, and if if he's that, like the Niners should should win a lot of games. So I I think you're right on.
0: Is that Kirk Cousins ish? Kirk Cousins? Oh, Kirk Cousins normally he's he's closer to five, I guess.
1: So, so here's here's the here's the thing with Kirk Cousins. You know, you know me as, as like you know how I am. I like my numbers. I like my stats. But I, I think the one of the biggest things to to look at, like where you talk about intangible things, watch the way in that in that playoff game that that the Niners and Vikings played, like the way the way Kirk Cousins responds to adversity versus the way Jimmy Garoppolo does. Like you look at what he did in New Orleans, or you look at what he did completing two third and 16 passes uh, under the gun against the Rams. You, you look at the way Garoppolo performed uh in the two Cardinals games. Like, I don't think you can lean on Kirk Cousins when the going gets cut to say, hey, it's third and 15, you need to let one rip down the field and kind of cross your fingers and hope your receiver makes a play. Garoppolo is willing to do that. And I think that's really that's such a subtle difference between the two. But I think that's where the difference is. You might get more numbers with cousins, but you're going to get more of those kind of I don't want to say impossible, but those big time like bailout plays from Garoppolo, you'll get more often than you get from from cousins. And maybe having the consistency of a guy like Cousins is better, but uh watching him in that playoff game against the Niners, I was not super impressed.
0: Does Cam Newton have a job next year? He should. Uh, Sorry, strike that from the record. Does Cam Newton have a starting job next year?
1: I don't think so. And I think it has more to do with the fact that teams can't look at his injuries. I think if if we're in a normal non-COVID-19 world where players are working out for teams and visiting and taking physicals and doing all that, I think cam probably gets signed by like the chargers mm-hmm. and he's going to start there, there for a year with Tyrod Taylor as a the backup. They can draft a guy and, and, and kind of see how that goes. But I, I think because teams can't look at that foot, they can't look at his shoulder. They can't be certain. But if you're cam, you're not just going to sign with, with the Patriots for one year, a, a million and a half dollars. Like I, I I'm, if I'm Cam, I'm waiting until teams can look at me, see that I'm healthy, and then signing a, a bigger deal. The issue with that is, and the reason I think he's not going to start is because I think teams will essentially have their starting quarterback at that point. Yeah, and they're it, not going to be looking for one at the point that that he's able to go visit teams.
0: And we're going. I think to further your point, we don't know when that is. Like we have we right. have not even a, a, right. a remote idea uh, when that's right. going to be. Uh, Jameson, New Orleans. I guess him and and, and Taysom Hill. I, I just, I you, Kyle, you're my guy, man. I always hope in life that you find someone who loves you. I want someone to love me as much as Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. Like that's just Dude. the type of unconditional love I want in this world. Is that right there?
1: It's it's wild, man. And I look, I get, I I had the hot take after a bunch of glasses of wine at Thanksgiving that Taysom Hill was the best football player in the NFL. And I've since been talked off that ledge, Good. but <laughs> but I see the I see why when you talk about like a positionless offense and what Taysom Hill can do, I get why the infatuation is there. I don't get paying him sixteen million dollars for a year to be a fullback that maybe throws it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. It's not that valuable of a of a of a skill set. Like Kyle Uzchek, the Niners fullback, played some played some quarterback in high school. He could probably do what Taysom Hill does from a from a throwing the ball standpoint. But I think Sean Payton just really liked the threat of teams having to kind of warp their game plans a little bit to account for Taysom Hill. So I I think I, I think that might start a trend in the NFL, honestly. Of having this one guy on the roster who can throw it a little bit. He can run it and just kind of do a little bit of everything. Sean Payton's obsession with Taysom Hill specifically is weird. It's weird to me. <laughs>
0: Dude, <laughs> he's did, not even did, a I, year younger than Cam Newton. Cam Newton see, is 30. Taysom Hill is 29 years old.
1: Right. And that's, that's, the, that's the whole other thing is it's like, it's not like, oh, we're going to groom this guy so he can be the quarterback. Like, no, this is his role. He is what he is. Like, he's in his ceiling. We've seen it. Is it that valuable to have that player on your roster? I I don't think it is. Especially when you can draft you can draft Jalen Hurts or or like Tommy Stevens from Mississippi State. Like there's a bunch of guys who can probably do what Jason Hill does. Yeah. They're just paying Hill an exorbitant amount of money. So I don't I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's got like naked pictures of Sean Payton or something, but
0: well, Jameis has his team. I guess uh, we'll see what happens with Andy Dalton. They're, I mean, very realistically, three quarterbacks who were starters last year won't be starters uh, next season, uh, whenever that's set to start. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank Again, great work from Kyle Mattson, NinersWire.com, and 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Um, in addition to the 49ers, you're, a team that I thought had clear direction, you, you heard Kyle talking about the direction of the San Francisco 49ers, and maybe maybe today they're not as good as they were last year, but there's a team that, I, that, that when you look at what they're doing, and I give this team a lot of grief, I give this general manager a lot of grief, and that's the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have a very clear direction, and that direction is, based off of everything they did this weekend, is we are going to build around Drew Locke. We are going to give Drew Locke weapons. We are going to protect Drew Locke. They drafted wide receivers in the first two rounds. They drafted a center in the third. They drafted a tight end in the fourth. They drafted another wide receiver in the seventh. They are building around Drew Locke, and whether it works or it doesn't, I commend them for having a direction and going with it. They got a sample size of Drew Locke last year that they're obviously very, very happy with. And I, th- I think this, this is a team. The Denver Broncos team is a team that now be building itself out for, you know, you, Kyle mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Uh, okay. Maybe the 49ers aren't where they were last year, but, but, but when you start talking about 2021 20, and 2022, this is going to be a really good football team. I, I think with the Denver Broncos who, you know, when, when you're the Broncos and you're the Raiders and you're the chargers you know you're trying to keep pace with what the reigning defending super bowl champions are doing you're trying to keep pace with what the kansas city chiefs are doing and i think kansas city i don't know that they got a little bit better but i know that they didn't get worse you know we didn't really know a lot about the about the running back market in the draft and actually speculated that if anyone's going to take a running back in the first round it's going to be kansas city that that might be the only one that goes and it wound up being that that wound up being the case And they, again, another team that's not desperately in need but knows that they have some weaknesses on the defensive side and they attempted to address those. Uh, I think that was a big plus for them. Uh, I think Arizona, you know, I I think they've... I think the the, the NFC West is going to continue to be a really, really intriguing division. I don't know a lot about what... Seattle did um you know I, I, I was I was the only player that I really watched um, that they drafted, the only player that I really took the time to like look up okay let me let me see if I can learn more about this kid is Jordan Brooks, the linebacker from from Texas Tech and and Daryl Taylor, the the edge rusher out of Tennessee. I only looked up Daryl Taylor because he went to Tennessee It's the only reason I looked him up. But Jordan Brooks, it was, kind of, it was like, okay, let's, let's I, I see where they're going. You, I mean, you go edge rusher, you go linebacker. Like, okay, I see where you're going. They're, they're attempting to put some things together, to put together a young defense. And we know as great as Russell Wilson has been, uh, that team for the most part, at least until recent years, has been built on the old, you know, the Legion of Boom defense. And I'm not uh, by any means saying they're trying to recreate that. I'm just saying you saw a trend in what they were doing. Jordan Brooks like, looks like a very, very good player that the, 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 the Seahawks were able to get there at, 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 at 27. But I'm not... <laughs> the Seahawks, their defense is a long-term project. Russell Wilson is the guy you will live or die by for the foreseeable future but he's so good. Like I'm willing to say you're going to live with it. Like you, you, if it's one or the other, it's live or die. It's live because Russell Wilson is that damn good. And I think the NFC East is that damn good or the NFC West. Sorry. The NFC East is not the NFC West is. I thought, you know, again, I, I think we kind of kicked this around last year that this could be one of the more entertaining divisions in football. That very well may be the case again this year because Arizona, Pro, just by default, just by, you know, having more time, Arizona got better. Just, just by having a little bit more time, just by having a little bit of experience, Arizona got better. Kyler Murray is going to be better. The players around Kyler Murray are going to be better. I don't know what to think about Los Angeles, but they're too talented to be. Uh, they, they, they can't get off to a slow of a start as they did last year. Um, I, I, am you know, trying to dive into what they did. They didn't even draft in the first round. If you recall, you know, I, I didn't even realize that until we were doing our, uh, until I was putting together today's podcast that we didn't talk. I was like, gosh, you know, looking at this division, we didn't talk about the Rams. What did the Rams do? Oh, they didn't do anything. They didn't draft on Thursday. That explains it. Uh, they went, they went pretty heavy on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, the, They started with a running back and wide receiver and, you know, they were one of the teams they, they drafted a kicker, but they went linebacker safeties. You know, they, they did a lot of that. Uh, they just can't get off to a slow start. Todd Gurley is gone, which makes their, you know, their first pick, which was, you know, pick number 52. It makes their first pick of this draft. It makes it make more sense. They drafted a running back, uh, Then you got San Francisco, of course, and and um, and Seattle. I think it's an entertaining division. I think it's an entertaining division uh, coming up. Cincinnati. Everything starts with Joe Burrow. You know, looking around, this is a division that we've 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 barely talked about. Cleveland. um, I can't can't even begin to try to. You know, I'll I'll, you I'll leave that up to the to the super duper experts. Is what Cleveland did. All I know is they drafted a tackle with their first pick at ten, which leads me to believe they're uh, they're still 100% believers in what Baker Mayfield is doing. Uh, They know that they need to protect him. And let's, you know, they were overhyped for a reason, meaning, sure, it turned out to be, you know, just that. It turned out to be hype. But they've got a lot of good players on that team. They've just got to figure out how to make it work. Uh, You know, not to be a broken record, my problem with them last year was their coach. Fredo was the problem. Fredo was gone. I think they're in good shape now. I think that was the, 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 the right direction for them. And, and now having a change you know, at the head coaching position, I think they're in good shape. Ben Roethlisberger being back with the Pittsburgh Steelers will be interesting. Uh, how does Baltimore follow up the season that they had last year? They had a ton of picks uh, over this weekend's draft. How many of them are absolutely... Uh, actually able to make the roster is, is an entirely different story. Detroit, you know, I was reading, you know, the, the, these grades and these draft reports that, that people thought Detroit did really well. Cool. I think Detroit, much like I thought about Cleveland, has a coaching issue. So if you're going to surround, if you're going to start throwing some young talent onto that Detroit Lions team, that coaching staff better figure out a way to develop them. Uh, Chicago, they've got a new court. I, I guess they've got a new quarterback. I don't know. They've got a quarterback competition between Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. Like, cool. Like, I, I don't know. Minnesota, they drafted four thousand players uh, in the fourth round. That's only a slight exaggeration. The Vikings had a ton of picks. And I thought, you know, that was kind of a it was obviously it was well known that Minnesota had a ton of picks entering the draft. But it was one of those situations where outside of Thursday, they'll probably, you know, you could probably bundle them up and get you could you could probably keep five picks. Because I think how many do they have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. They had 15 picks and I'm pretty sure I just counted wrong. Let's just say they had either 15 or 16 picks. It's kind of those situations, bundle them up, move up and draft a really, really good player with it and still wind up with like five of those 17 picks or six of those 17 picks or, or, or 16 picks or however many I just said. But this is, it's the time of optimism, right? It's fun. Like we, we, we think about what's ahead and, Uh, I know we're already looking forward to The Last Dance episodes number 5 and 6 as episodes 3 and 4 were on last night. There was a pretty heavy focus on Dennis Rodman, which I enjoyed. I loved listening to uh, Michael Jordan tell the story of uh, Dennis Rodman's hiatus uh, (laughs) during that that 97-98 season, right around that all-star break time. Uh, I also enjoyed the the. the I I, I want to go back to what we talked about before this started, before the before the last dance started. Is as, as we were leading into it, and we were just looking for, you know, something to really sink our teeth into. Is what did you want out of this? And here's a question. Like I, here's a question. I, we're all enjoying it, right? I, I I think that goes without saying. We're we're all enjoying the last dance. We're all enjoying having. Something to look forward to every Sunday night that that is in some way, shape, or form related to sports. I think it's amazing that the definitive memory of the 2019-2020 season might actually be Michael Jordan. I, I find that amazing. But here's a here's a question I'll ask you. Again, I'm very much enjoying this series. But remember, this was originally scheduled to air, I believe the first weekend after the NBA finals were over. So let's play the hypothetical game. If you can, if you can put yourself in this mindset, imagine we're coming off of a seven game NBA series and game seven ends with a, you know, a Kawhi Leonard like shot that beat Philadelphia. Like just one of those extraordinary shots. Like, Let's imagine that's how the NBA Finals end. Is this still as entertaining? Is, is the last dance, let's say, on the high end, five days after the NBA Finals, five days after Game 7, is it still as entertaining? Because I go back to the question that I asked before this started. What did we want out of it? Like, what did we want out of The Last Dance? Like, what did we? And everybody watches documentaries differently. Everybody watches TV differently. Um, some people watch to learn. Some people watch just to relax. Some people watch as background noise. Whatever. We, we all have different reasons to watch. With documentaries, 30 for 30s, if you will, I like to learn something. And we talked about leading into this. Like, I don't know that there's anything I'm going to learn. Now, obviously, there's, what are we at? Uh, four, there's six more hours of this to go, but I'm maintaining, you know, confidence that I'm not going to learn anything from this. Again, it's not that I'm not enjoying it. Do I love Michael Jordan looking at, at, at an iPad and talking about how full of shit Isaiah Thomas is? Yes, absolutely. I am here for petty Michael Jordan. I am here for Michael Jordan being pissed off that Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons didn't shake his hands 30 some odd years ago. yes, I am here for that. But at the same time it's like the the the, uh, the the Rodman story like I knew that story like it it's fun like it's cool but I don't know that I'm, I I I don't know like I uh, right now in pandemic and coronavirus and all of that stuff this is perfect. This is everything we all need. Just like the NFL draft it was the of course it was the most watched NFL draft in history. Of course it was. We're starving for content. We're starving for non rerun content. And while this documentary would have done extraordinarily well, no matter what, I wonder if we would all because we all have these warm and fuzzy feelings. You can go to you could go to Twitter every, you know, every every Sunday between six and eight our time in, in, in California and see everybody has these warm and fuzzy feelings about the Chicago bulls and about this documentary and about Michael Jordan and about the last dance. And yeah, you got to wonder if, you know, the NBA finals had ended with a buzzer beater. The NBA finals had ended after, you know, a back and forth seven game series. If, if everybody would be romanticizing this the same, because essentially we're getting more highlights than we've seen before. Like, the episode on Dennis Rodman would have been awesome if we hadn't gotten a Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 like uh, a year ago or half a year ago. I really, I'm sure at some point, because we've already, we've, we've just gotten to the first NBA title. I mean, think about the things that are still ahead in, in these uh, six hours or six-ish hours. We still have the 92 title. We have the 92 Olympics. Remember, Jordan didn't, want to, Jordan didn't want to do the Olympics at first. He didn't want to do the dream team at first. Um, he wanted his offseason. Uh, and then following the 92 Olympics, I think that's when the gambling stuff, the, 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 I think the Jordan rules came out that year, the book, not the, not the Detroit Pistons thing, but the book, the Jordan rules that Sam Smith wrote, where he was talking about don't pass the Bill Cartwright, Uh, you know, that, that was kind of our first, um, glimpse. It's just whether you chose to believe it or not. That was like our first glimpse into the Michael Jordan that we saw at the hall of fame and the Michael Jordan that we see here during this, during this documentary, that was kind of our first glimpse of it was that book, the Jordan rules. That was, I think that was in 92. So you, you, we, we've still got that. And I got to imagine that that's coming up here, you know, pretty soon. They just won the championship in 91. So you've got those two situations in 92. Then you've got 1993. Uh, You have Jordan's dad being murdered. You have baseball. You have Jordan coming back. You have them losing. Not to mention, you've got to cover Jordan playing baseball. You've got to cover the fact that the Bulls should have beaten the Knicks in 1994 that they 100% should have beaten the Knicks in 1994 and been in the finals for the fourth straight year. Then you've got his comeback. You've got the loss to Orlando. You've got all of that. And then you've got the start of the second P. 96, 97. And at some point, we'll catch up to, you know, present day where we are in, in 98. And that's the, I actually, I want to see more of that. Like, I want to see more because we've never seen it. I want to see more of the the '98, the '97, '98 documentary footage than I do, you know, this stuff that we, you know, the, this the stuff covering 1991. Like I've I've seen the stuff covering 1991. I've seen all of those highlights. I've seen all those old video clips. It, like, yeah, it's it's great to hear Michael Jordan talk about it, talking about 1991 today. It's cool to hear Magic Johnson talk about 1991 today. But their comments over the years haven't changed. Perhaps this is the most open Jordan has been. And if you had watched Jordan doing media up until the start of this last week, he, you know, there was, I think Jordan was concerned, concerned enough to say, yeah, this this documentary, it's going to make me look like an asshole. Because, you know, we're learning that, that Jordan is, he he doesn't take any shit from anybody. Like, he doesn't forget anything. It's what fuels his competitiveness, but we all knew that. We all saw that. We all saw that at the, the Hall of Fame, and we've learned since then, oh, that's, that's Mike. Everybody who knows Michael Jordan said that, that Hall of Fame's piece that you saw, that's him. You never saw him before. All of that stuff he did in front of the media where he politely said, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know what next year holds. I don't know what next year holds. Yeah, I'm getting tired of being asked about Scotty and Phil, and is this my last year here? Is this my last year there? He's given all the polite answers. What we saw at the Hall of Fame, that was, that was the real Michael Jordan. What we're seeing here is the real Michael Jordan, but we're so far removed from it, we already know. And I don't want to give the impression that I'm not enjoying this. I'm very, very much enjoying this. I'm just wondering if everyone's perception of it would be a little bit different if it was coming following uh, a great NBA Finals. And maybe if it was following the NBA Finals and it was a 4-0 sweep and it stunk and everybody hated it. Maybe, the, maybe this documentary would be exactly what it is right now. See, this is basketball. This was what we need. This is what we miss. This is what we love. Like it's, it's perception. We always, we remember um, the, the thing that happened recently. Like it's never, we, we, we used to use the line, it's never as great as you remember it, and it's never as bad as you remember it. So whichever, you know, whichever side of the spectrum it falls on, you know, it was never as great. It was never as bad. But it's was the last thing to happen, so that's how you remember it. But, man, we are remembering these 1990 Bulls with great fondness. Over the weekend, I think we saw that um, Kobe's last series, uh, I'm sorry, Kobe's last season uh, was documented as well. So whoever has that footage, whether it's the NBA or whoever, please uh, don't take 23 years to put something together. Um Let's let's do it right, but let's get that one together here over the course of the next couple of years. So that's something uh, we can follow. I the fact that that was I don't know that the the, the right term isn't leaked, but the fact that that was uh, announced or made public or whatever this weekend leads me to believe it's not something that they were working on right away. Which means, and I I still struggle saying this, I, there won't be any you know kobe interviews in it like that you know since kobe's not with us anymore i I don't imagine that they started anything on on whatever this uh uh, season that they filmed was Uh, but you know maybe maybe we're wrong or maybe i'm wrong Uh, i certainly hope so either way that that's going to be man look forward to that for sure uh whenever that may come out also and now you're hearing all sorts of other things like the 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 warriors they didn't want you know one of their seasons documented over the last couple of years and it's like okay all right let's let's just all settle down and try to enjoy what we have here uh in front of us and i hope you enjoyed today's show thanks again for uh, uh joining me thanks again to kyle Matson uh for being part of the show always great uh to catch up with him here on the podcast Uh, subscribe rate review do all of that stuff I know most of you have done it right now but just in case uh, you haven't subscribed to the show uh, hit the five-star rating if you haven't left the review yet over the course of the last year please drop us a review we'd greatly appreciate it and we'll be back here uh, with more tomorrow on the podcast with Damian Barling